following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Well, grab your Bibles and go to the book of Exodus, and we're going to be in chapters 11 and 12 for our message today. By modern estimates, 65 million people die each year in the world. That's 178,000 each day, 7,425 each hour, and 120 each minute. So just in the time it took for us to read and ponder those statistics, more than 40 people died in the world. And by the end of this sermon, more than 3,000 people in the world will have died. Now one day, each of us are going to be a part of those statistics. As playwright Oscar Wilde once noted, the statistics on death are most impressive. One out of one people will die. With these odds, there's no hedging your bets. You will die. I will die. In this life and death that we're in, the only way to secure our place in eternity with God, our Creator, is to place our life in the hands of the one who conquered death. And that is, is His Son, Jesus Christ. That is why we're calling the message today, When Death Passes Over. Several years ago, the Saturday Evening Post ran a satirical, satirical piece, a funny piece, of a man about to be rescued and after he had spent a long time shipwrecked on a tiny deserted island, the, the ship pulled up, the rescue ship, and the sailor in charge of the rescue team stepped onto the beach and handed the man a stack of newspapers. And the sailor said, compliments of the captain. He would like you to glance at the headlines and see if you still want to be rescued today. Sometimes it's like that for us, is it not? I mean, we glance at the headlines and they scare us. And sometimes it can even seem like evil is winning out in our world. But then along comes the hope of the resurrection to remind us that there is no grave deep enough, no real imposing seal strong enough, and there's no evil that can keep Christ in the grave. That's the message of the resurrection and that's the message of the Passover that we read today. These two stories are so intrinsically tied together. We've been in a study of Exodus for quite a while now. And in this study, God has sent the first nine plagues to judge Egypt. Consisting of water turned to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock disease, bulls, hail, locusts, and total darkness. And chapter 10 ends with a final confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh when Pharaoh would not let God's people go. Chapter 11 picks up where that leaves off. So look in your Bibles at Exodus 11 verses 4 through 7. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the hand mill. And all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. 
But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now turn over one chapter to chapter 12, and let's look at verses 7 and 13. So Exodus 12, verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And then verse uh, 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now look at verses 29 through 30. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Powerful story. Some great application and lessons for us. The gist of God's promise is this. If Pharaoh refused to let the Hebrews go, God would cause the firstborn of every family in Egypt to die that night around midnight. From the slave to the prisoner in the dungeon to the palace of the king, all the firstborn, even of the animals, would die that very night. But the Hebrews would be saved if they put blood over their doorposts. So here's our big idea. As the blood of the lamb saved the Hebrews, so the blood of Christ saves us. Imagine what it must have been like for those Jewish families that first Passover night. There must have been some nervousness as they ate the lamb. They took the bread. They they ate the bitter herbs. Maybe some quiet talk, some small talk to try to deflect what was actually about to happen But surely there was some deep concern in their hearts of the coming death angel. And certainly fearful apprehension was in the air. Parents prayed silently over their oldest children. They huddled together as darkness grew. And later in the night as the first cries of the grieving Egyptians were heard, they checked and double checked their children. And they breathed a sigh of relief and gratitude to God for those that had been spared. The blood had been applied. Some 15 years later, a prophet named John was preaching about the coming kingdom of God and he was baptizing people as they repented of their sins and he looked down the river and he saw a man coming toward him and he knew exactly who it was. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? When they sinned against God, what was killed in order to cover their bodies? An animal. Something had to die. Something had to shed blood to pay the price of disobedience, the price of sin. And that's why people offered animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. However, no matter how many lambs were slain, the blood of lambs could never really take away the sins of the people. For Hebrews 10.4 says it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. That's why John the Baptist called Jesus the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All those lambs in the Old Testament pictured the coming 
Messiah, Jesus Christ. And just as the blood of the Passover lamb saved the Hebrews from physical death, the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, saves us from spiritual death. Which is why we celebrate Easter instead of Passover. Passover was a picture looking forward to what Jesus would accomplish at Easter. Easter looks back at the reality of what Jesus accomplished through the empty tomb. So Passover is the picture, but Easter, the resurrection, is the reality of the truth that God saves through the shed blood of his own son. As the Hebrews were saved by applying the lamb's blood, so we too are saved by applying Jesus' blood. For the Israelites, we read about in our text today, it was God seeking to set them free from Egyptian bondage so they could worship him The one true God. For us, God might be seeking to set us free from some bondage. Maybe bondage of hedonism or pornography or the love of riches or trying to maintain control. Maybe you need to be set free from a false sense of of worth. You, You feel like you're worthless and the world is speaking to you through all sorts of media and, and, and messages and saying you'll never amount to anything. You need to be freed from that bondage. You need to be free from a struggle maybe that you're going through that you need to feel accepted. Or maybe several other ways Satan can attack us and chain us up with burdens because we want to try to solve those problems ourselves. And, and while the devil seems to keep us in emotional and spiritual and, and mental change, God wants to free us. But you have to be willing to be freed on his terms. You see, the primary purpose for which we are freed is to worship Jesus Christ as God's son and the Lord of our lives. Now, in our story, death passed through Egypt, but death passed over Israel. This tremendous demonstration of of God's judgment on on the Egyptians also comes with the rescue and the salvation of his own people. At the same time the Lord prevailed over Satan at the cross, he also gave us salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son and redeemed us through his blood. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me that, that we're reading about events in Israel some 3,000 or more years ago. And we're also reading about events in Israel in modern day news. I think God is up to something Someone asked me this past week, what is the biblical basis for supporting Israel? That's a great question, right? I think another good question is, what's Israel supposed to do if terrorists continue to bombard their country with thousands of rockets? What would America do if even one rocket was launched from another set of people in even one of our cities or towns in America? What would you do if someone attacked your home tonight and attacked your family? You would defend yourself, absolutely. I mean, that's the biblical stance to, to defend against, against uh, unjust actions. And so supporting Israel is important because we are spiritually united with Israel. Romans eleven seventeen says that when we came to Jesus, we were grafted into Israel and we share all the blessings God gave them. Ephesians 2 says at one time we were excluded from citizenship in Israel, but now we are fellow citizens with them. So we join with the Jewish people 
to reflect and celebrate the truths of God's word as we're spiritually united with them. Think about what God said to Abraham in Genesis 13, 15. Here's what he said. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. That's God's promise. Not the United Nations or any other governmental authority. It comes directly from the Lord. And note for how long? Forever. And what God has promised is not for us to take away. Genesis 17, 8. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, I will be their God. All the land of Canaan will be for the Jews an everlasting possession. God gave the land of Israel to the Jewish people forever. Now he did that. He chose them not because they were worthy or not because they were, they were good. No, he chose them out of his grace and mercy. And the Bible says God chose us not out of his wisdom, although certainly he is wise above all others. But it was not God's wisdom that chose us. It was entirely his grace and his mercy. We read about that in, in verses 4 through 7. Look, look back at, at, at verse 7 of Exodus 11. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. The Passover is a, an Old Testament picture of a New Testament salvation. The blood of the spotless lamb protects and delivers God's people. They're freed from Egyptian bondage to be able to go into the promised land. Century later, Jesus, the Lamb of God, would be the same sacrifice for, our, for all mankind. His blood would be spilled on Calvary, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, for all of us, for anybody who comes after him. The fact is, if you're not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're still in your sins and you're bound for hell. And God has given us another chance to confess our sins today, to, to come and receive his grace and mercy. And this message of grace is this, the accomplishments are not what makes you a worthy person and valuable in God's sight. You learn this lesson when someone shows you grace. You don't deserve it, but they show you what you didn't earn anyway. I've had to learn this lesson time and time again. You can have value and worth apart from your performance. Now, these graduates, I mean, we honor you today because of your accomplishments. And we honor you because of all that you've done. And, and you worked hard and, and you did it. And I know you recognize God gave you the ability to do that. But when it comes to our salvation, there's nothing we could do to earn our salvation. Jesus accomplished our salvation on the cross and his burial and his resurrection. And all we have to do is trust in what he's done for us. You see, this story seems to be a pattern with God. He loves to pass over. In this final tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, God again protects his people and passes over them. But there are other instances in the Bible as well. God rescued Noah from the flood and the judgment of the world. He rescued Lot from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's rescued us and he will rescue us in the great tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, hell was not made for you if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. The, the great tribulation to come is not made for you. When God poured out his judgment, his people were exempt. When he had to discipline his people, he sent them into bondage. He didn't send them into destruction. And that's characteristics of God's nature. Whenever we disobey and disregard God, we always find ourselves in captivity to something. But we can't blame God for that. We have to take responsibility ourselves. As Israel was in bondage to Egypt, so we can be in bondage to pretty much just about anything. For 430 years, the Hebrew people served under slavery, the Egyptians. They had no choice. Every day, they were forced to make bricks, build pyramids, serve their masters. If they disobeyed, they were beaten. If they rebelled, they were murdered. That's the life of slaves. And each of us is born into a world of slavery to sin. As Billy Graham often said before he went to be with the Lord, we are all sinners. We sin because it's in our DNA. We have to be taught to do good because we can do evil naturally. But it's not a matter of just simply stopping to sin. Have you ever gone on a diet and you want to lose weight and you lose some weight only to get off the diet and gain the weight back? Have you ever started an exercise program only to abandon the exercise program? You can't keep it going. More importantly, have you ever tried to clean up your life and you failed miserably? We can't stop sinning because by nature we're sinners. The Bible says specifically in Romans 6, we're slaves to sin. And just as the Hebrew people could not just leave Egypt, they couldn't just walk away. Pharaoh wouldn't let them. We cannot just simply leave our sin. The Hebrews needed God to deliver them. And the same is true for us. We need God to deliver us today. Maybe you live in bondage to always having to be in control. Maybe the Lord wants to set you free from that burden this morning. Maybe the only way for that to happen is for you to release control rather than trying to tighten control. Perhaps you fear being enslaved to something else. Maybe fear is a natural human emotion to be afraid. You know what? And sometimes it's beneficial. Think about, for example, if you find yourself in a neighborhood, you took a wrong turn, and all of a sudden you realize this is a dangerous neighborhood. I mean, it's natural to be fearful, and you want to get out of there before you're harmed as quick as possible. If you're a believer, then the Lord can give you victory over the things that you fear in your life that are unhealthy. Maybe the Holy Spirit will lead you to come forward during our response time in just a moment at the conclusion of my message and, and let us pray with you about taking away some fear in your life or maybe some struggle you're going to. Maybe it's a, a, a slavery to perfectionism. You always want to be perfect. Today could be the day that you start on a journey where you realize instead of constantly trying in your effort to go from point A to point A plus, today you can surrender to Christ and actually be satisfied with A minus. Because listen, maybe A minus is the best you can do. I think that's the best message we can give to anyone. If you've done your best, how could you do any more? God has promised to always redeem us. And the wicked will suffer, but we will be cleansed as we put our faith in who he is. 
So as we progress toward the end of times, we're going to see the enemy's activities increase. I mean, he's going to lash out against the church, and it becomes more obvious. There, there may be tougher times ahead. But always remember, God will pass over his people when we place our faith in him. Mark 5.36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Luke 12.7. Why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. What does God ask you today to do today in order to be saved? Saved? He asks you to believe on Him, put your faith in Him. Because we're told in Romans 3:23, for all have sinned and fallen short. And in the verse 23 of chapter 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then we learn from our text: the focus of our faith determines its worth. Look at uh, verse 7 of Exodus 12 again. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. So there was a lot of blood spilt this night, but where the blood was applied, there was life. You see, the blood made all the difference and it still does. Faith seizes its benefits and its power And it finds its comfort in the object of our focus. In other words, if your focus is in something that has no power, then it's a worthless faith. The Passover underscores our focus of our faith. The focus of faith determines its worth. Probably there were some firstborn in blood-covered houses that suffered a sleepless night. There were some parents who didn't get much sleep that night because they were wondering if the blood would really work. I mean, I'm sure there were questions like, have I put enough blood on the doorposts? Had I I put it in the right place? I'm sure there were questions, had I tried hard enough to accomplish the task? And then there were those that slept pretty well in peace and confidence because they believed they had done everything according to what God had commanded them to do. They had faith. The point is, both lived through the night. The death angel passed over both homes that the plague entered and took neither life. Confidence or lack thereof did not affect the result. Salvation depended on the Lord seeing the blood, not on how well they remembered applying the blood. In fact, look at verse 13 of Exodus 12 again. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So if they had faith, whether the faith was wavering or or rock solid, it was the same value. It had the same power because it rested in the blood. It is not the degree... Our passion of our faith that saves, it is the object of the faith that saves us. The Holy Spirit who is within us continually cries out to the Father according to Galatians 4, 6, cultivating this connection we have with God the Father. The Holy Spirit of God, the the Spirit of, of Christ is living inside of us, carrying the life of God to every measure of our being. And we're alive today to serve Him. 
And if this is true, if we're alive, then why is it that so many times we feel like, if I could borrow a title of a movie, a dead man walking? It's because we don't apply or appreciate the deep life-changing truths that we read about as we're saved by the blood of Christ. You know, it's interesting, of the 10 plagues that we've looked at in our study, the greatest one only uses two verses to describe it. Look at verses 29 and 30 of Exodus 12. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Look at verse 30. Pharaoh rose up in the night. Now the times I've been woken up in the night are not very pleasant, okay? Uh, Take last night, for example. I had gone to bed. Adrian and Melody were still up. It was around midnight. It was right before midnight. And all of a sudden, Adrian comes and she's saying she's heard gunshots. And Melody heard them too. And I'm woken up. I'm walking through the house. What's going on, you know? And Turned out I called one of my neighbors and he heard it too. It ended up being fireworks, okay? Now, why somebody was firing off fireworks at midnight on a Saturday night, I can't tell you. But think about how when you're woken up by a phone call or a, a visitor or, or bad news or whatever it is, you know, think about how, how upsetting that is. And then think about being awakened at midnight by the th- sounds of thousands of parents screaming because... They've gone into their child's bedroom and the firstborn is dead. Imagine that happening here in South Carolina. Imagine the deafening sound of a continuous roar of national mourning. Verse 30 says, there was not a house where someone was not dead. This story is true and I believe that it is if it's a literal account of the death angel that passed over I think there's some practical lessons for us today so let's just look at a few in closing number one liberty does not mean the absence of responsibility the well-known Passover phrase we've looked at week after week in our study of Exodus is let my people go but that's not the full phrase the full phrase is let my people go that they may serve me Passover reminds us that we are free from sin in order to be a servant to Christ. We are set free. Whether you're seven years old or or 70 years old, it's your responsibility to fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave us before he ascended back to the Father after he was raised from the dead, and that is make disciples. Yes, we struggle and we have heartaches and we have problems, but you know what? We're alive. We know the Lord. We have a personal relationship with him that's growing. We need to go deeper in that. That's our calling. That's our responsibility. Because we've been set free by Christ, we owe him our very life. Here's the second lesson. Sometimes you'll be challenged by God to do things with no reference point to rely on. What would have happened if the Hebrew household had failed to apply the blood to their doorposts? Their firstborn would have died just like the Egyptians. Yet they responded by faith. Hebrews eleven twenty eight says, By faith he, Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. 
Now, the Hebrew at this point in our story, they had no precedent for such an action. No one had ever done anything like this before. It must have seemed kind of absurd, wouldn't you think? I wouldn't want to put uh, blood on my doorposts. I wouldn't want to put blood on my house. That seems like you're defiling it. We need to remember as we read these instructions, the Hebrews had never done anything like this before. They had never roasted a lamb in this specific way. They had never slain a a lamb and, and used the red blood in this way. What logical reason could there be to follow these instructions? F.B. Meyer says this, and I quote, It seems so utterly extraordinary for such a thing to be as the deliverance of his people because blood happened to be sprinkled on the outside of their doors. There was no precedent, no apparent reason to justify such a thing to ordinary common sense, no likelihood of obedience having any connection with deliverance. But here, all these hundreds Thousands of years later, we know the reason. And we know there was a reason then. They just couldn't see it. And yet they still responded. There are going to be times in your life where God calls you to do things and you have no reference point for doing what he's called you to do. You can't look back and say, well, yeah, I did it there. He he brought me through. I, I did it here. No, it's going to be something new. It's going to be something you've never done before. But listen, if God calls you to do it, then you step out on faith and you do it. And he'll receive the glory and you'll receive the blessing because you're following his plan, his purpose, and his will for your life. One final challenge. Here it is. The challenge to remember you came out of the house of slavery is intended to help us see the oppressed in every generation. You don't have to turn there, but in Exodus 13 verse 3, let me read it to you. Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. We were once slaves to sin. And the Passover story and the resurrection of Jesus Christ helps us see that we are no longer bound or oppressed by the sin in our lives. As we think about what the message is, and as we think about the focus of what God has has caused us to look at today, we think about the truth of the resurrection, and we think about how it is as meaningful today as it was in the symbol of the Passover lamb. Philip was born with Down syndrome. He attended a third grade Sunday school class with several other eight-year-olds. The children did not readily accept Philip with his differences. One Easter Sunday, the teacher brought some multicolored eggs, plastic eggs, into the class. And each child was to take an egg and go outside on this lovely spring day and find some symbol of new life and place it into the blue egg or the green egg or the yellow egg, whichever one they had. After running about the church property in wild confusion, the students returned to the classroom and placed their eggs on the table. Surrounded by the children, the teacher would open them one by one. And after each one, whether it was a flower or a leaf or or something else, the class would ooh and, and awe. Then one was opened, revealing nothing inside. The children exclaimed, that's stupid, that's not fair, somebody didn't do their assignment. Philip spoke up and said, that's mine. 
Philip, you don't ever do anything right, one student complained. There's nothing in there. I did so do it, Philip said. I did it right. It's empty because the tomb was empty. Silence followed. From then on, Philip became a full member of the class. He died not long afterward with an infection most normal children would have just shrugged off. And at his funeral, this class of eight-year-olds marched up to the casket, not with flowers, but with their Sunday school teacher, each to lay on the casket an empty plastic egg. God offers salvation and even provides the means by which we can be saved. Our responsibility is to place our faith and trust in him. Will you do that today? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.